The Dudes of Kung Fu podcast is brought to you by Wing Chun Illustrated Magazine. Wing Chun Illustrated is the premier publication for Wing Chun. Published six times a year, Wing Chun Illustrated is a perfect bound, full-color, glossy publication. Each 60-page issue comes packed with in-depth content and feature stories by and about the world's greatest exponents of Wing Chun, regardless of lineage or style. Wing Chun Illustrated has featured people like Imin Bostepe, Philip Bayer, Yip Chun, Gary Lam, Donald Mack, Samuel Kwok, David Peterson, Chan Chi Man, Mark Phillips, Wan Kam Leung, Sam Lau, Robert Chu, Sifu Sergio, Victor Ken, and many, many more. There are two ways you can enjoy this fantastic publication. Go to wingchunillustrated.com and order the magazine as a print-on-demand. The print quality is simply amazing. Or download the Magster app and get a subscription. That's Magster, M-A-G-Z-T-E-R. This way, when the new issue hits the stands, you'll automatically receive it as a download onto your smart device for offline reading. In fact, with your new Magster account, you can access the magazine on multiple devices, iOS, Android, Kindle Fire, and web browser. To make the deal even sweeter, listeners of the Dudes of Kung Fu podcast can use the coupon code DUDES to get a six-month complimentary digital subscription. That coupon code is DUDES, typed in all capital letters. Go to Magster, again M-A-G-Z-T-E-R, to register, add the six-month subscription to the cart, and apply the coupon code at checkout. The Dudes of Kung Fu love Wing Chun Illustrated Magazine. Hey all, welcome to the podcast. This week, we, uh, in addition to our normal topics and, and uh, discussions, we brought back an old feature and introduced a new one. And we really hope it's uh, popular with you guys. And uh, sit back and have a good time. Dudes of Kung Fu. Please welcome your host, Alex Richter and Big Sean Madigan. Hey, dude, how are you? Good, man. Uh, how's how's it been? Yeah, things are going pretty well. We're uh, we're rocking and rolling today. Um, we're celebrating my son's birthday this weekend, so we're having a nice, uh, nice fun weekend. We're fattening food and, and and enjoying ourselves a little bit, you know. Yeah, yeah. Well, the weekend is the time for fattening food, I suppose. <laughs> exactly right. We went to uh, Buffalo Wild Wings today. Oh, nice, and, nice. Yeah, we had a, we had a good time. My brother came in, and uh, we just had a we had a nice time. It was a lot of fun. That's awesome. And, uh, so, what's new with you? Well, the weekend is always my time to indulge. As you know, I do intermittent fasting Monday through Friday. So Saturday is really the day where I just basically eat whatever the hell I want. And I ate nothing but Turkish food today, and it was amazing. That's, I guess, the nice thing about kind of being on a, on a diet for five days a week is, like, you really appreciate, like, eating stuff outside of that. And it becomes a bigger deal, and you enjoy it, and you savor it a lot more because you don't have it every day. And so uh, that's uh, – that's always really nice. So I really like really get into like my day where I can eat whatever I want. And then, you know. Yeah, I know with me, too. It's like so I diet strongest Monday through Friday. I don't do intermittent fasting, although I have to admit you guys have got me really interested in it. I just don't I don't know if I'm strong enough for it, but um, it definitely is. Uh, you guys have definitely have piqued my interest, um, but I am eating really strict during the week. And I have a uh, diet-wise, my big thing is bread. I love bread, mm. you know. So um, I don't eat bagels or or rolls or anything all throughout the week. But come the weekend, like on a Saturday and Sunday morning, man, I really jones for like a nice New York bagel. Or, right. Uh, sure. Sure. Or uh, there's a there's a 
there's a, a not a bakery. It's uh, people in New York will know what this is. It's Salamera, which is like an Italian place that has all sorts of cold cuts and meats and cheeses, and and they also bake their own bread there. Yep. And um, we have a Salamera near our house. Well, it's that now. We have you could throw a rock and hit a Salamera. Sure. sure. And um, they have this. We have this one place near us that has, makes this incredible bread and focaccia, which is basically picture a pizza without cheese. For you folks not living in New York, what a focaccia is. Pizza without cheese, a lot of heavy on the olive oil and tomato, and um, it's really good. And I, I love those on the weekend because I just have such a a, uh, a well, bread thing going like, on. Salamaria is such a big deal in New York. Like I don't even live in an Italian area. I live in a Greek area, and we still have one. Like we still right, have one right, like exactly. on the block over here. And that's like where <laughs> Carol goes to get like the fresh mozzarella and stuff. It's amazing. It's like, okay, now for the rest of the human beings, will know it's not mozzarella. It's mozzarella. But, you know, I guess if you're like half German, half Cuban, you know, you could say mozzarella like, you know. Like people like say Wing Chun and Paxau. Yeah. Wait, 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 wait. It's not Paxau. <laughs> it's not Wing Chunga. Chung with a G at the end. Right. <laughs> <laughs> speaking of kind of nonsense, like what do you think of people who get like martial art tattoos and stuff like that? Okay, so I have mixed feelings on it. I, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to lie and say I never saw one I thought was fucking cool. Mm-hmm. I do find some tattoos fucking cool. Yes. I, um, my first, first memory I have of a martial arts-related tattoo was uh, many years ago. Was, I, was, I was engaged, so it's got to be 25 years ago, 26 years ago. I went to a, um, a Dan Inosanto seminar in Queens. And a bunch of the guys there were like, hey, guys, after the seminar, let's everybody go and get the Jeet Kune Do logo tattooed on our arms. <sighs> and I, at first, like, I was kind of like, uh, I, I don't have any tattoos. And I don't have any against tattoos. I just didn't, don't have right. any tattoos. And I was like, uh, I got to explain this to my girlfriend now. You know, my fiance, we're getting married soon. She's going to fuck you and hang me, I think. Especially if I blew the money that we're using... <laughs> To save for the wedding. Oh, by the way, honey, I need a couple hundred dollars to get a tattoo. But um, but a guy, a bunch of guys did do it. I'm not gonna lie and say I wasn't tempted. Now, I do kind of like samurai tattoos. Like, I do like like, I, like Japanese style artwork and stuff. Or yes, yeah, yeah. Like I I just I just love it. Sure. Um, I have a buddy of mine who has um a sleeve of like samurai armor. Yeah. I think it looks fucking badass. I do. I, I I absolutely love it, and I think it looks really cool. Well, I think there's a difference between that because that, um, although it obviously has something to do with martial arts, it it's it's a little bit more artistic. It's like a sleeve, and there's a lot of detail, and like whether it's armor or you have like the fish and the koi and all that kind of stuff. That's one thing. For me, it's more like when people get, like, the JKD tattoo or the Wing Chun characters or, like, a fist and two double knives. Like, I I always kind of find that a little, mm, like, who are you trying to convince? You know what I mean? Like, like, if somebody is, like, really into something, I always find that the tattoo is kind of a cheap way to be, like, if someone is insecure about something and they want people to know, like, no, I'm really into Kung Fu. No, I'm really into Wing Chun. Look, I even have the tattoo. It's kind of like, 
it's kind of like, who are you trying to prove? You know what I mean? It's like you're kind of trying to tell people that you're really into it. But if you're really into it, you don't have to tell people. Like, uh, so I always find it's, it's a bit narcissistic. It's a bit vain. And oftentimes I find the artwork is a little bit awful. And I've had tons of students get Wing Chun tattoos, which I always have to, like, you know, give them the high five. And I'm like, awesome. Uh, I'm the guy with the two-floor school in Manhattan who doesn't do anything but think about Wing Chun and don't have a single Wing Chun tattoo on me. Like, I just find it's kind of like... I, I feel like it would be kind of nonsensical for me to get one. Like, hey, guys, do you see the Wing Chun characters? Because I really like Wing Chun. You see? Like, I'm into Wing Chun. Like, it just seems like you can become kind of a tryhard the moment you do that. You know? I don't know. What do you think? I, yeah, okay, I, I can see what you're saying. Absolutely right. But we also, we have to be careful not to judge people by what we think is cool and not cool. It's like, it's like with me with the Bruce Lee folks who, like, I say, oh, they're trying too hard by having... You know, the Bruce Lee dolls and the Bruce Lee posters. And, and you know what? That kind of like works for them. They're action figures, not dolls. Come on, get it right. Well, okay. Because, because one could say you're kind of trying to like, just be like, I don't have any problem with like guys getting dolls and stuff like that. You know, but I doubt very highly that they call them dolls, right? I, I think Bruce Lee dolls. I think they have extra outfits for them. <laughs> and I think it's like, oh, look, today I'm going to put on the gold tracksuit and pretend I'm filming. Game of don't Game of Thrones, whatever the fuck Game it is. Game of Death. I, I know. I, I did that on purpose, jerk off. <laughs> I, told, like, you I, know, I, I told you the old story on the podcast about my Michael Jackson doll, right? What'd you do? I never. So when in the eighties, I don't know if you remember, they had like a Michael Jackson doll, and I was such a Michael Jackson fan. I got it, but I got it like to just go on my wall, right? And my cousins from Germany, the two female cousins, they came into my room and they saw it. And they took it and they put Barbie clothes on him. And then, like, I remember I came back into my room and I saw, like, Michael Jackson wearing a dress. And I was <laughs> so angry. I, like, I, they were, like, laughing at me. And I was, like, so, I was, like, so livid. I like, So they made it accurate then. Yeah. Can you imagine if somebody came in and put a, a, a dress on one of their Bruce Lee action figures? <laughs> the, the meltdown they would have online would just would be totally worth it. When I was a kid, my cousin, who um, had an, a Michael Jackson, we'll call it an action figure for your benefit. Do you remember when Michael Jackson was filming that commercial and uh, his pep, hair went on pep, fire? The Pepsi commercial, yeah, of course. Well, I remember his, her older brother, my other cousin, mm -hmm. saying to her, do you want this to really look like Michael Jackson? Oh, jeez. And she said, yeah. And she was a kid. She was like eight. And he took out a cigarette lighter and put the doll's head on fire. <laughs> it's got awful, but it's and, also great. <laughs> and he's going, beat it! And the doll's are fucking fully engulfed. That is incredible. Oh, it was fucking brutal, dude. Wow, wow. Yeah, I mean, like, look, I don't have anything against people who get tattoos. I mean, a, a large number of my student base have tattoos, Wing Chun tattoos that they got since they were training with me. I just find as a... Dude, you got one of your students is like one walking tattoo. I love that dude. Jan, yeah, Jan's amazing. And he also, I mean, most of those tattoos he had before he joined, but he even he has one plum flower tattoo. Um, but But he's also like... He's really legit. He's not like the he's not like a girl that has a little ankle tattoo or like a little oh, butterfly yeah. on he's... her back. Like he's like legit. So it's like you get to a certain point where it's like, well, another tattoo, he's always going to be a tattoo dude. Like like right, but I'm right. talking about the people who get like the one 
And right, it's like, sure, sure. Y- you know, like uh, like the Jeet Kundo, because it's like you look at like the people like Hicks and Gracie doesn't have a Gracie tattoo. Leung Ting doesn't have a Wing Chun tattoo. Like all like all these people who are like the people that you go to. Like, do you think Moyat had like Yip Man on his arm somewhere? Right, like, right exactly. You know right. what I mean? And it's just kind of like, and those are like the legit dudes. They don't have this need to turn themselves into a conversation piece like yo this is for personal reasons but i don't mind if we make it the topic of conversation it's like (laughs) it just comes off very narcissistic i don't know like i just feel it's very it's very try hard it's very hey look at me it just reminds me of like you know when people go through the punk phase and dye their hair right wait a minute did I go through a punk phase last year? I don't remember. Dude, last year. <laughs> you you look like a bitch every week you have a different hair color. I have a you know, I have to keep up appearances of staying young. This is the the problem with every year you just get older, right? And you know, if I if I look too old, nobody's going to take me serious anymore, so. Okay, Alex, I love you like a brother, but trust me, nobody takes you serious anyway. It doesn't matter. <laughs> I suppose. I suppose. I mean, you're you it's sometimes I I, I laugh. I, I mean, I, I don't laugh behind your back. I get to do it on the podcast. <laughs> but <clears throat> it's like sometimes it's like the Eminem, Alex. Sometimes <laughs> you have all the different looks of going on. You got, you know, you have the your uh, and what's your 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 buddy? You guys the with Cuddle. My buddy. How many buddies do I have? You act like I have one friend in the world. <laughs> we have the you have the one guy who I swear to God you flip sides of the same coin. Uh, the Turkish guy? No, he just moved to like Switzerland or something. Brian Cuddle. Oh, you mean uh, oh, Bri- oh yeah, yeah, Brian Cuddle. Yeah, yeah, sure, sure, sure. Yeah. He's 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 a different like. I'm sorry, but like you guys are related somehow. He he he's like a parallel universe me where I did like, where I did like Choi Le Fut instead of Wing Chun, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Right. 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 You guys, you guys, you, you're related somehow. I'm actually going to Germany uh, next month at the end of August, and I, I oh, hit him wow. up. I'm like, hey, man, like, I know, you know, Switzerland is a little bit away, but I'm like, I don't know what he's doing. I mean, he, you know, he, he's, he's gone out there because his, his, his wife works there. So I'm like, so you're just hanging out doing Kung Fu in Switzerland? Come hang out with me in Germany, man. Let's go do, let's do a Kung Fu world tour in, in, in Europe. That'd be totally awesome. That's uh, pretty cool. And, and so hopefully I see him. Also, um, next month, this will probably hit a little bit late. Um, but I will be in Hong Kong basically for the first two weeks of August, kind of like from August 1st to August 15th. If anybody uh, happens to be in Hong Kong at that time and want to hang out, just uh, hit me up on uh, the facial books or Twitter or whatever, and uh, we can hang out. I'm bringing a whole gaggle of students. I'm coming with like eight of my students to Hong Kong, and we're just going to hang out. I'm going to show them, you know, bring them to, to meet all, all like the, the various Wing Chun Sivus, take them to Yip Man's Grave, the Bruce Lee exhibit, give them the the tour as anybody who's been to Hong Kong with me, they're always astounded by the fact that no matter where I am, I'm like, Oh, there's a little back street down there. We're going to go that way and then go up the little (laughs) hill. And then they're like, how do you know all this stuff? It's like, I spent a lot of time walking around Hong Kong and, and really, really know the place very well. So if anybody happens to be in Hong Kong for the first two weeks of uh, August this year and you want to uh, you want to hang out or whatever, go ahead and hit me up. I, I, I'll definitely love to to meet up with you. I'm also going to be in Bali for about three days, Bali, Indonesia, teaching Wing Chun for my little group out there in Bali. So I'm super excited about that. So uh, that's awesome. Yeah, it's it's fun to get to do, you know, what you what you love and kind of yeah. you know put it out there. So I, I don't know if I ever told you this before. But uh, my father was in Germany for a while. Really? When he was in the army before yep. going to Vietnam, he went to Germany, and he loved to. Tell, he used to love to tell the story. 
that the uh, the efficiency of the United States Army, the unit that he was in, believe it or not, a uh, a second language was required. Mm-hmm. He was a uh, a ranger of some sort, or and you had to have a second language. So they sent him to Germany for like five months for the specific reason of learning German. Wow. And so he was in something called Schwabisch, Schwabisch Hall? Schwabisch, saying, ha- Schwabisch Halle. Yeah, Schwabisch uh, Halle, yeah. Schwabisch Halle, Germany. Yeah. So, uh, and he loves to tell, like, the army sent him to Germany for six months to learn German to then send him to Vietnam, where he never spoke German to anybody. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, he loved it there. He absolutely loved it there. That's that's, uh, that's actually uh, very close to, to where I trained Germany. Uh, I trained Wing Chun in Germany. It was the, that area, um, the dialect that they speak is called Schwäbisch because that type of German has an inflection. And it's a little bit like kind of like a southern accent is for us here in the states it, it's german but it's a little hickish and they have like some kind of funny southernisms and uh, yeah i probably said this on the podcast before but when i when i moved to germany i couldn't speak any german and my father is german and like you, you have to imagine he was always a little disappointed that i never picked up german you know being that he my dad is so german i mean his name is manfred richter all right like it doesn't get like he doesn't get any more german than that and so I moved to Germany at age, I don't know, like 21, and I picked up German very, very quickly. I mean, I was living there, and I came back after like one year of training just to visit my parents for a brief visit, and I had my first conversation with my dad in German like at age 22. And it was funny to see because my dad is from Berlin, and Berlin, they speak like a very kind of – like it, Berlin is like New York right, uh, sure. English. It's like kind of hard and tough, you know? And it was just funny to see, like, my dad's, like, brain kind of flip through him being proud that I could speak German, but also being really disappointed that I had this accent because I, <laughs> I picked up the accent from the Schwabish accent from where I was learning Wing Chun. And it was kind of like, if you imagine you live in Europe and you send your son to him and your son only speaks German and you send him to America to learn English and he comes back speaking like this, right, you'd be right, like... Right. Well, he speaks English, but like, and it was just funny to see those gear, those those gears going in two different directions in my dad's head. Like, he was proud, but also like totally like disgusted by the way I spoke German. So it was just really awesome. And I, I've since tried to kick some of that Schwabish accent away, but like, it still pops up when I speak German, which is kind of it, funny. it's funny. My, my dad used to talk about um, he would when he came home. I remember, I remember it as a kid actually. The only time he ever used German would be to negotiate in a jewelry store with a a, a, a Yiddish speaking Jewish guy. Right, Ooh. right, right. And you'd be in a jewelry store, and and the guy was you know they started haggling over the price. And next thing you know, my father would start speaking to him in German, which a lot of people don't know. Jewish people speak Yiddish, which is basically yeah. There's a lot of German words in it's Yiddish. It's basically right. It's basically German, and. Um, so the U.S. Army basically paid for my father to learn how to negotiate in in, in Yiddish, <laughs> <laughs> which is which is such a typical like New York thing. Like those kind of stories. That's so New York. You know what I mean? Like of course, and that's like what he ends up using it for. It's just like it's just perfect. Uh, so my father still to tell people that he he spoke English, German, and Vietnamese. So wow. and I would say, oh, okay, and he's like, so and he have, obviously have fluent. He was fluent in English. He grew up in America. He spoke German pretty well, and he said in Vietnamese he knew like six phrases. <laughs> and that country, he lived there for over a year and a half, and he knew like six phrases. Like sure, you know, sure. 
Well, the, the the Vietnam soldier experience was was not necessarily the local experience right. during that time. Right. We used to say you knew six phrases and only and only two of them you could use without a rifle. So <laughs> <laughs> that is awesome. Oh my god. That is awesome. Yeah. So um, one of the things that we did a number of times on the podcast that we have kind of fell off on doing in recent times was teaching you some kind of Cantonese on uh, on on the show like I can't tell you how many people come up to me and they're like yo how come you're not teaching Sean Cantonese anymore because they really get a kick out of you trying to speak it but also I think people want to learn how to say right, these sure. things a little bit more accurately and whatnot so uh, you know I figured well I mean hey let's we, can, well, we, should, we should continue it. We can Absolutely. bring it back. And I know that we, we may have actually covered this one before, but one of the things that, you know, kind of like your, your mozzarella thing, it's like it, it's when, when we teach Wing Chun or Jeet Kune Do in English, admittedly, like even when I teach it, I, I use an Americanization of the Cantonese words. Like I, I will sometimes say like, like say it a little bit more correctly, but sometimes I'll just say, all right, guys, do the Siu Nim Tao form. Like I'll just do it with American cadence because it it doesn't it, it's not like if most of my students are non Chinese speaking it's just it's kind of like overkill like you ever watch you ever watch the news and there's like a Spanish reporter speaking like perfect American English and then comes the one Spanish word in the sentence and they say it like perfectly in Spanish and it's always kind of like kind of off putting you're like what well, uh, you know it's it's not like guadalajara it's like guadalajara and you're like wait like, right, 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 in right. the middle of like a stock standard american sounding english sentence right so i find that sometimes it can be off putting to like say it with pitch perfect accuracy so i admit even myself like i will i will say tan sao instead of like saying it the proper way right so right. um so anyway like you know there are num- n- numerous times on this podcast i just say wing chun in a very Americanized way, or Jeet Kune Do, or whatever, right? But that's actually not how those are applied um, in Cantonese. Now, for people who don't know, and I may have mentioned before, Chinese and Cantonese is uh, definitely no exception, is a tonal language, meaning that you have to get the tone right for the pronunciation to be correct, right? So, for example, uh, M-A, Ma, Ma, you could say with six different tones in Cantonese, and it would be six different words. So wow. that's why that's why I always joke like you can kind of approximate it, but if the tone is wrong, you might be insulting someone's entire bloodline by right. a- by asking to pass the ketchup. You know what I mean? Right, 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 and, right, right. and that's one of the daunting things about uh, learning Cantonese as a Westerner is that uh, if you mess up on the tones, you might accidentally say something insulting but it's unintentional or you might say something stupid or you might just ask for some normal thing and it comes out as gibberish because two of the six words you put out there you just fucked up the tone and they're just like why so so that's why like it took me a long time of study before i even felt comfortable asking for like everyday things because i didn't want to make like a dumb mistake and come off stupid because i'm a total perfectionist so um, that's why really? the, with, with that haircut, <laughs> that's why the hey, a lot of work goes into this. And I have Chinese guys who cut this hair and spend a lot of time. <laughs> so like the, the tone is is very important because you can easily mess something up. So um, so, for example, uh, our the martial art of Wing Chun. All right. Most people, American or Westerners, they will say wing like very high flat tone. 
Chun with a very aspirated, like, cha-cha, like, cha-cha-cha, like a hard uh, CH sound, right? Right. And actually, there's no hard CH sound in Cantonese. It's more like a, a, a t- it, it's more like kind of in, in the teeth a little bit. It's not a t- like an open mouth sound. That's why the spelling that Yip Man used and Moyet used and Wong Sun Leung and Leung Ting with the T-S is actually a little bit more phonetically correct if you understand phonetics because it's, it's tun, tun. It's, t- it's like this, this sharp sound. It's not a cha. It's a t- t- It's a little bit sharper. So, and the tone is what we call a high-level tone, meaning you say it kind of loud and you drop off right away. So it's tun, tun. It's not chun. It's not wing chun. It's wing chun. So, wow. so, so you have to say like the wing a little bit lower, like you're trying to impress a female with a deep voice. It's not wing. It's wing, 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 wing. It's lower. It's wing, right? And then chun is chun. Tun, it's very short. Wing tun. So like you imagine it's like wing tun. Wing tun. So that's how you say it. Go ahead and try it. <laughs> oh my god. Oh I'm gonna <laughs> so, so fuck so this just, up. Just think low and then short, right? That's my second that, That's it, the low and short. Is that that's that's your nickname that's the nickname they have for you, right? <laughs> <laughs> low and short. We're not gonna go into any details on that. Wing chun. Uh, not, I mean, the, the tones are a little bit more correct. So it, it's it's not like a chun, wing chun. And certainly there's no G sound at the end. It's not wing chung, right? It's <laughs> wing chun, wing chun. Wing chun. Yeah, and the G at the end of wing is not, it's not very sharp. It's not wing. It's wing. Wing. It's ve- the G is very soft. So it's wing chun. Wing chun. Very good. And, and you know... Fist, right? When you say like wing chun kun kun kun, meaning fist, right? Kun is also like a low falling tone. Kun, kun, kun. Yeah, it's not kun. It's not like like you hear right, people say right. like kun, like like the the because Bruce Lee spelled it like tune but with a K, right? And right. so people have this very kun like ooh sound, right? But it's kun, kun, kun. kun. Yes. So kun. it's very low, like falling, like again, like you're trying to impress a female. You, Kun, right? Like with a very low, sultry voice, right? Wing Chun Kun. Can I ask about one? Yes. Uh, just as a little side thing. So Moyat was f- not fond of saying kid. He would say um, pie. Pie? Pie. 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 Right, pie. So it, how, pie is just it, like you would an apple pie? or? Uh, well, um, actually, the term depends a little bit. The, like, See, here's the strange thing about Cantonese. Occasionally, the tone will will change a little bit whether it's like at the end of the sentence or beginning of the sentence but normally pi is a double a sound so it's not a single a sound so it would be pi pi so it's wing wing chun pi that's so funny <laughs> it's funny wing chun that sounds so funny. You sound like a northerner. Wing Chun. So it's go. You know what they say: if you can't pocket, fuck it, right? So yeah. So pi actually means it means a sect, like S E C T, like a like a like a could also mean like a clan or something like. Although the word clan has some negative connotations 
in 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 America, but it means like a yeah, like 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 a group or a tribe or something like that, right? And um, yeah, it, it's understandable. I mean, like the the, the term fist. Um, even Tai Chi, I mean, like, like when you hear see people, people say like Tai Chi Chuan, or in Cantonese Tai Kun, Tai Kun. It's also fist, right? So um, fist obviously means a punch or a closed hand, but it generically means a martial arts style. Right. So it, even for a martial art like Tai Chi, which is not known for actually using the fist, they use the palm more, and they also use the silk pajamas to great effect. But um, they still use the word fist to denote that it's a, a martial arts style, right? So right. kind of generically means fist, but it's easy to understand why the term fist could give some people, especially like uh, Moyet was more on the scholarly side, why they could feel that the term fist was kind of a little bit, uh, yeah, a little bit rough, perhaps a bit unrefined for something like, Mar uh, you know, something like Wing Chun being being a more refined martial arts. So it, it's understandable. I think, I think the thought process behind it, and again, I'm just speculating, I think the thought process behind it was to him and his outlook on on, on, Wing, on Wing Chun is... <laughs> it's just getting worse now. <laughs> you did well, it better it was, before. <laughs> you know, it was, he spoke about a Kung Fu life, and he spoke about, you know, about the, the, this martial art being more about bringing people together. Yes. You know, that, yeah, it was fight-centric, but it was more about kung fu life than it was about actual fighting. Yes, especially nowadays. I mean, the, the, what, what martial arts are used for has evolved, right? Obviously, we're not in the Qing Dynasty using Wing Chun to defend ourselves against the Manchus. We are doing it as a pursuit. It's a hobby. So it is... It is it's our third place. Yeah, it's our third place. It has taken on a new meaning. So it, it's... I, I really I really like that um, you know when Moyat would talk about uh, kung fu life and and kind of translating that into uh, the lifestyle of doing kung fu of, of practicing of the journey and I think that that is actually where it's the most powerful now I mean this is really like this is something that people need in their lives they need something to focus their energy on and they need something that's positive and uh, reducing it simply to a fist fighting style is is certainly reductionist especially nowadays. And um, I, I, I really like that. That's also why, and I mentioned before, why I, I changed the name of my association to Athletic Association, because then the pursuit of learning Wing Chun in my school is your own personal pursuit. It's not, it's no longer, it used to be like, I use Kun Kun, Kun Kun, like fist fighting school. And I realized that that was then very limiting because I'm basically telling people this is just for learning fist fighting, right? But right. Pe some people come to Wing Chun because they just hate their job. Some people come to Wing Chun because they just want to do something that's, that's not just going to a gym and lifting weights. They want to do something a little bit more intellectual with their bodies, right? So, so for me to say, like, no, it's just fist fighting, I'm, I'm cutting off all the massive potential that people could be getting out of my school. So I, I changed that to Athletic Association, which I thought is a much better name. And, and you know, like Pi, it's a much healthier relationship to the art than the term fist, right? Right. So um, now your now your athletic association. If I send in a twenty nine ninety nine and some box tops, can people join your organization, your association, or? Is this <laughs> um, <laughs> yes, it it, 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 it it all depends. You have to send uh, ten proofs of purchase that you bought City Wing Chun gear online, <laughs> and uh, with a self addressed stamped envelope, <laughs> and then uh, yeah, we will send you a decoder ring and and a signed photograph of me. 
And so, a laminated ID card. A laminated ID card. Right, right, right. Speaking of that, like, you know what? I, I've been on this totally, total weird kick lately. Like, I don't know if you're like me, but every once in a while, like. No, not in any way whatsoever. <laughs> like, do you ever, like, get into something online? Like, you look up something and then suddenly you're like. Oh, yeah. You're going down the Google rabbit hole. And oh, then, like, God, and yes. Just, so, I don't know. Do you remember who Count Dante was? Who? Count Dante. Count Dante. That sounds so familiar. Yeah, so Count Dante was this guy like in the 60s and 70s who had a um, a mail order ad in the back of comic books. And it was basically like uh, the world's deadliest fighting arts where you would send like $5 for his pamphlet and then yeah, you would yeah. learn like the destructive DIMAC techniques. So basically, right, right. you know, it was the same kind of thing. Like if anybody has ever seen those old comic books from the 60s and 70s, they would have lots of ads which were clearly targeted at like skinny, you know, boys who were like uh, l- lacking confidence to speak yeah. to women who were kind of the proverbial 90 pound weaklings. And so, you know, there would be ads in there for, like, how to gain muscle with doing nothing and x-ray glasses so you could see through girls' clothes and stuff. I still have those. (laughs) And there was one. It was, like, this world's deadliest fighting arts. And you could send, and it showed you, like, the deadly poison hand techniques. And that Count Dante guy was very interesting because he was, like, a legitimate karate guy who essentially became a fraud. He changed his name. He used to be called John Keehan. And then he changed his name to Count Juan Rafael Dante. <laughs> and, it, and then started wearing, like, a cape and leotards and, like, claimed that he was, like, the toughest guy. And he had death matches in uh, China and Thailand and all this kind of stuff. And then dies at age 36 from an ulcer. And ended up actually having um, the, the famous – because he was from Chicago. They had these famous dojo wars. and So he was the founder of the Black Dragon Society. Um, and there was another rival school in town called the Green Dragons, which is like something like it's so comic book. So and, in, fucking in, stupid. and in 1971, he goes in there with one of his students because he was he was one of these guys like Trump. He's constantly he's very obsessed with his enemies. Right. Right. So, right, right. you know, this other Kung Fu school was talking smack about him. So he goes in there with his, you know, one of his karate cohorts and basically kicks down the door. And there's an all-out brawl of, like, the Black Dragons versus the Green Dragons. And, like, the reports, the police reports were, like, there were dudes with nunchucks and bow staffs. And, it, like, you could just imagine that, first of all. It the was, Olive Drab was. Yeah, it, it was It was not the artistic ballet of a kung fu movie, oh for sure. God. You can imagine, like, all these, like, like right. wh- white dudes trying to do Asian martial arts. But the thing is. Dante's buddy who went in there who apparently you know was some kind of karate or judo expert went to grab and throw somebody and some dude came up and straight up stabbed him with a samurai sword and killed him and then like and then the police came and like Count Dante was like hiding under a table like under a desk and like and it was crazy and like so so for me, it's it's fascinating because he was like this known in the comic books because of this ad, but he was also like a notorious maniac, you know, and and right. and, and like so I, I go down these rabbit holes with like him and Ashita Kim and Frank Dukes and all of these like all of these kind of martial art frauds because I just find them, I just find them fascinating because you have like two types of frauds, you have like guys who have legit martial arts credentials. But then they like they fudge it or they expand it or they create a new persona. But they do have some martial arts skills. 
like somebody like Frank Dukes, who's basically a total fraud, but you can clearly tell he had learned some karate or judo at some right, point, right, right. right? But but then he created this whole fantasy story about the Kumite. And then you have people like Ashita Kim, who clearly don't have any more proper martial arts background. And like so you have these two like spectrums. Um, or like you have like Victor Moore, who was like a legit karate guy who now claims he beat Bruce Lee. And then yeah, like, so, so, so like it, it's amazing, like like the spectrum of frauds, like it's something that I'm very, very fascinated in. So like so that's kind of been the uh, the rabbit hole I've been going down lately. So you just reminded me of something from when I was a kid and I had totally forgotten about it till now. When I don't know, I'm pretty sure it was in karate magazines like black belt magazines in the 70s mm-hmm. and it could have been in like comic books and things to that effect there was like to order this secret ninja weapon okay and you could hide it on your body and and i remember being obsessed with this when i was a kid like i wanted to order it and it was like 20 bucks or something you know when you're a kid 20 bucks is a lot of fucking money right so i remember at one point just saying like all right i'm just i'm ordering this and I mail in my check, <clears throat> and a couple months later, we get I get this thing in the mail, and the ninja weapons that came. There was two of them, that came, and they were two basically needles, about four or five inches long, with this like clear lucite handle, to hold it. Wow. And you would stick it like they say like you know to stick it behind your tie. Or. The, to stick it like you know in the in the uh, somewhere hide it in your clothing, right. and then if you needed to pull this needle, and it was it was and it was like a, it was hard. It was like hard like a nail. It was like yeah. it wasn't thin and you like could, you could definitely do some damage with it. You could hurt somebody with this yeah. fucking thing. <laughs> and I remember holding on to that thing for years, thinking it was like I had the secret. And again, I was like you know eleven years old kind right. of thing, you know. And, and probably whoever sold it, like, it was probably, like, a spare part from, like, a Toyota. Right, just, sure, like, Toyota exactly. made way too many of, and then some, like, <laughs> some smart business guy just, like, bought them all for next to nothing and then <laughs> sold them in martial art magazines. As a, a, a ninja, a secret ninja weapon to be hidden on your body. They wouldn't tell you what it was. Right. And, you know, and yeah, you mailed anything, and that's what you got. It was two of these. This little, like, envelope would come. And it would had it had the two needles stuck in it, with these clear lucite handles. Right, right. And and I remember thinking like, wow, this is badass. Yeah. Also, and they had and it had like a chart of the human body, like where to stick it in. <laughs> like you would ever actually do it. Right. Exactly. <laughs> Was anybody ever thing. murdered by that secret ninja weapon? <laughs> I'm sure you could Google it and find out. That's oh, too funny. Man. Oh, also speaking of Cantonese terms, so uh, JKD Jeet Kune Do. You need to learn how to say that one too. Jeet Kune though actually all of all three of those words are low level like Jeet. So Jeet is a low level. I think it's a six tone which is the lowest level. Like one being like Jeet and the bottom one being Jeet. It's Jeet. It's the lowest one. So it's Jeet Kune though. So it's all very subdued Jeet Kune though. And um yeah, try that. <laughs> 
Zeet Kundo. Zeet? Did you just say Zeet with a Z? No, I didn't. I said it perfectly. <laughs> you just fucking heard me wrong. <laughs> Zeet, Zeet Kundo. <laughs> that could be your own martial arts Z, uh, ZKD. <laughs> I'm going to kick you in the balls one day. You Come know over that. here. I'm waiting. <laughs> Come over that Verrazano Bridge if you dare. <laughs> it's too expensive. It, it is. It's, how much is it to go over that bridge now? Oh, God. I, I don't even know. Yeah, you do. You have to apply. Thank God for Easy Pass. Yeah, you have to apply for a bank now or something like that if you're going to go through there. Zit mm. Kundo. with the J. Zit Kundo. Zit Kundo. I know how it's spelled, but I... Yeah, but you keep saying Zit. But you keep on... Because well, you're making up these pronunciations. Making up these pronunciations. Oh, please. We both know I'm saying it 100% perfectly right. <laughs> and you're making up these pronunciations. I, I, will, I will allow the audience Zit, to make... Zit Kundo. I will allow the audience to make up their mind on how accurately you're copying what I'm saying. <laughs> so you, you know what's interesting about that is um, obviously Bruce Lee is the founder of Teet Kundo and and he created that name but actually the name is not really original at all so th there there are a couple things that are really interesting about that name first of all it's it's rare to none that a Chinese martial art uses the term do at the end so as you know that's a very Japanese thing like you know karate do like the, the mm -hmm. term do meaning way, right? Um, or, or, you know, for example, judo. That's literally the same do. Right, right, sure. So because the Japanese tend to um, marry philosophy with their martial arts, of course, before we get any hate mail, yes, the Chinese marry philosophy with martial arts. Yes, 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 I know. But in the titles of Japanese martial arts, it's a lot more implicit, aikido, uh, you know, uh, judo and, and, you know, budo, like the, the warrior way, like this term do is very, very common in Japanese martial arts. It's not very common at all in Chinese martial arts. So clearly Bruce Lee had some kind of influence from hearing judo and taekwondo and all those kind of things when he came to the Western world. And that is part of his kind of Western identity, kind of marrying that with the Chinese because most Chinese styles, they would finish with the word kun or pie or something like that. But they, right. wouldn't, they wouldn't. But it's also very clear he meant something more philosophical. You know, when you look at his notes, he wasn't trying to establish a style per se. So the term though, meaning a way, is actually perfect um, because it doesn't really imply necessarily a, 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 a fixed style, so to speak. Right. But. Zit Kun is actually a form of martial arts. That is a, a, a form. And um, there is a very uh, traditional form taught in the Jingwu Academy called Zit Kun, which literally means like stop fist, like the, the stop pit form. But it's a very traditional Kung Fu form. And before Bruce Lee came to the States, he actually learned some traditional Kung Fu forms from a Sifu named Siu Hong San. Uh, Siu Hong San was a... Uh, also an actor who knew Bruce Lee's father. And Siu Hong Sang was good friends with Shekin, the guy who played Han from Enter the Dragon. So before Bruce Lee came to the States, there's a very famous story. I told this uh, on another podcast. Hawkins Chung tells this story. When Bruce went to the States, he was like, yeah, I'm going to teach some kung fu to earn some extra money while I'm in the States. And Hawkins Chung says, you don't know that much Wing Chun. What are you going to teach? That was like his famous line. <laughs> and, and then he says, well, I also can teach cha-cha. And I'm going to go learn from Uncle Siu. They called him Uncle Siu. Some Kung Fu forms that will impress the Westerners. So 
he went to Si Hong San and then learned these traditional forms. And when you see, remember the famous uh, screen test Bruce Lee right, does, sure, right? Sure. Like, this is a crane form, right? All of those things he actually learned from Si Hong San. Like when he's jumping around, like the stuff he does in Way of the Dragon, where he does like the dragon whips his tail. Yeah, he, always, right. he always does the same set or like an Enter the Dragon before Bob Wall comes in. And he's doing like the hops and the jumps and the very, tr- like all that stuff he literally learned from Uncle Sue like a month before he came to the States. He just picked That's it up awesome. really quickly, right? Which is like, just, it just shows you what a movement genius Bruce Lee was, right? Because that wasn't even his style of choice, but he could go in there, copy it, and take it, and make it look cooler than everybody else, right? So, um, so, so he learned that, and one of the forms that Bruce purportedly learned from Uncle Sue was Tit Kun. So he apparently learned Gonglet Kun, Tit Kun, and then I think some like crane or some mantis movements or something like that. But I believe that Tit Kun was one of the forms that Uncle Siu taught him. So he actually learned a form with that name. So clearly there was something about that name that he liked and then he kind of married it together with that kind of, uh, although Do is a Cantonese word as well, it's the same word as in Japanese, but it's just not that common that the Chinese would use that with, uh, with Chinese martial arts. So it's the same character and it's the same word. Um, well, yeah. well, well, the beauty of the name for, from a JKD perspective is that in Jeet Kune Do, real quickly, there's we, we, what we call the five ways of attack. Um, attack by combination, attack by drawing, progressive and direct attack, um, simple attack, and, and um, hand immobilization attack, or immobilization attack. And... For various reasons, one of the five is considered more, I don't want to say advanced, but it is more, it's considered on a higher level than the other four. And that's simple attack. Mm -hmm. And simple attack is often taught or represented as interception. Mm -hmm. And, And that's the beauty of the name of the art is that while the art recognizes five ways or five routes to the opponent. Um, and when I say roots, I don't mean a physical route. I mean a, a, a route in timing of movement. The, what we consider the most advanced method is the simple attack, interception. And when Bruce Lee naming his art, you know, intercepting fist, it's kind of like a nod to that. That, you know, while we have other methods, this is our preferred method. This is the highest level of my method is intercepting fist. And it's almost like I kind of feel like um, it's almost like a reminder to any practitioner that this should be your goal. You know, yeah, there's immobilization attack, attack and, and, and drawing and indirect attack. And, but your goal should be interception. Your goal should be hitting. And, uh, and I think that's what the beauty of the name. Anyway, I didn't mean to sidetrack it, but that's... No, that's great. That's great. That's, that was, that's, uh, and, and I don't want to get too far down the, what I, what, if it's the, the one, that one method is based on something different than everything. So the other four methods, the other four methods of attack are based on, a, based on uh, a human condition, based on a, a a, uh, an intangible in a fight and the fifth one in, in simple attack the most advanced is based completely on something else and it's much harder to it's much harder to do 
um, it, it requires much more control of, of the of the of the environment than the other four. And um, and JKD people hopefully know what the hell I'm talking about. It's just it would take it would take ten podcasts to just get through it all. That's why I'm trying to boil it down. But um, that's that's where that that that's where that name supposedly comes from. At least I hope that's where it comes from because that's what makes sense and that's how it's been passed on to me. Uh, also, uh, I think, you know, the word uh, do in Japanese, meaning way, in Cantonese, also pronounced do. Do you know how that word is pronounced in Mandarin? I do, but I can't remember. It's pronounced tao, but it's always written tao, T-A-O. Right, 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 tao, right. So you have to realize, you know, I didn't realize how stupid, you know, because we talked about the, the Tao of Jeet Kune Do before, you know, being the compilation of Bruce Lee's notes was published after he died. And many people nowadays, they have the misinterpretation that this was somehow a book that Bruce Lee had written during his lifetime. Right, and that's right, partially right. been brought on by the movie Dragon, the Bruce Lee story. So, you know, part of the reason why people believe that is, in fact, Linda Lee's fault because she put it in the movie as if he had somehow, you know, maybe they were just trying to spike sales of that book, right? Exactly. To, well, they to, did. They- they came out with the hardcover version and yeah and and um it, it, it's it's funny because like even nowadays like joe rogan a couple times like even joe rogan who generally is, is pretty enlightened about martial arts in general he'll even write like yeah well you know i heard like a lot of things in dao of jeet kundo have been plagiarized and so i don't know if like bruce lee was like a plagiarist like he basically and i'm like whoa 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 wait a minute bro jogan right. like i'm on board with you on most things even when Joe Rogan goes hard on Kung Fu, I'm like, yeah, he's actually right. I, I pretty much, as a Kung Fu practitioner, I agree with most of the things he says about Kung Fu. But um, even Joe doesn't realize that that was not a book that Bruce Lee published, that Bruce right. Lee was a copious note taker. And, you know, in those days, you didn't have an app where you put this stuff on your phone. You wrote it down. So Bruce made all these notes. And, and like you had mentioned before on other podcasts, maybe these were even notes he was writing down like, okay, this is something somebody does. He doesn't necessarily agree with it, but he's just writing it down because he has like a thought about it, right? So you don't know what Bruce Lee's intention was when he wrote down like, you know, Absolutely, do this, right. do that. And it could have totally been like, yeah, I don't really think this is a good idea or whatever. And so, and then those get published posthumously after he dies as a new book. And then all these years later, people are like, yo, is he... Is he plagiarizing, like, the John Corbett boxing book? It's like, no, those are probably his notes on the Corbett boxing book, but they were never intended to come out. So, like, sometimes then I'm like, oh, God, like, people are they, – they don't really know what they're speaking about sometimes. And so that bothers me a little bit. But you know what I thought was really funny? And I think I'd mentioned this previously. We've we've talked – we've had so many podcasts, I'm always afraid, like, we're treading over the same water again and right, again. Right, sure, sure. <laughs> but, you know, we always get new listeners, so it's like, all right, maybe it's not that bad that we go over new stuff or whatever. And then someone's going to go back to one of the old ones, like, yo, when you told that story the first time, you said it was 1968, right. now you said it's 1969, bro. So, like <laughs> – so um, when I was in Hong Kong, I was at a bookstore, and they have all – obviously, they have martial art books, but they're all in Chinese – and so I'm always looking for stuff on Wing Chun and Jeet Kune Do that I've not seen before. And a lot of times they're just the Chinese versions of English books sure, that I sure. have, right? So they had the Tao of Jeet Kune Do in Hong Kong translated into Chinese, right? And when I looked at the title, I realized how stupid the title is in Chinese because Tao is the same word as Do 
Right, right. The way of the white. <laughs> yeah, and, and so like, so in in Chinese, when you see the title written in Chinese characters, it looks kind of dumb because right. the title is literally so the word of in Cantonese is ji, like ji, right? So the title is literally ji kun do ji do. It's like ji kun do of way. It's like. It's yeah, like that's intercepting way of way. And it's like, it just, and when you see, like, it looks redundant because the characters are repeating twice, right? So I'm like, oh, I don't think Bruce would have liked that title. It sounds kind of dumb, right? <laughs> so it, it should just be Jitkun, though, right? It shouldn't be Jitkun, right? Because that, it's like the way of the Jitkun, though, way. It's so redundant. It, 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 it's, and Bruce Lee was about stripping everything down to the essentials it's literally a redundant title to say the way of the intercepting fist way you, you yeah, understand? And, and it wasn't until i saw that title in chinese ago of course in the 70s when that book came out they're like well everybody likes taoism and Tao. let's just put Tao in the title and they probably didn't even realize though is the same word and it looks so stupid so anyway i just like it, it's something so now every time i look at that book on my shelf i go the freaking way of the intercepting fist way. <laughs> like, it just, it's ridiculous, right? <laughs> it's, like, it's like they were just trying too hard, like getting a Jeet Kundo tattoo or something like that. So, oh, you know, you're just, you just, you, you're dying to get one. You're just trying to. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. We and, should, uh, know, yeah. we should have a bet one day. Uh-huh. And the loser has to get a dudes of kung fu tattoo. Oh God, <laughs> Jesus! My mom would absolutely kill me. You know, I think to this day, part of the reason. Wait, okay, whoa, 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 whoa! Okay, so you are never allowed ever, and I mean ever, to fucking revoke my man card again uh-huh. because you were about to say that you can't get a tattoo because your mom would kill you. Yeah, but that's that's my mom. That's a different story, man. We all do. They're all like, like moms are kind of off limits when it comes to certain things. The reason, I'm not making fun of mom. So, so here's the thing. So there's a very specific reason why my mom, like growing up, if someone had a tattoo, my mom would be like, ah, eh, eh. like she would get, so, and she still, even now at like every, like I'm one of the my only. My mom the same way. Yeah, I'm like one of the, we're like one of the only people that don't have tattoos. Now. Right, exactly. And right. everyone has a tattoo. And when my mom sees a tattoo, she still freaks out like it's something new. I'm like, mom, right. this is like everyone has tattoos, right? And so the reason is, as you know, my mom is Cuban. And in Cuba, there were a number of people who came, a number of Jewish Holocaust survivors who left Germany and came to Cuba. So when my mom was growing up, the only people who had tattoos were people who had been to jail. And Holocaust survivors had their, their number tattooed on them. So my mom has this real like visceral thing like you were either in jail or you were a Holocaust survivor. Two things which, you know, have very, very sure. poor associations. So it's like, but mom, that person has a tattoo of a goldfish. <laughs> you know right. what I mean? It's like it's not the same, but she like she can't get over it. Right. So that's why what I always post these funny photos on Instagram, like I love horrible tattoos. It's yeah, uh, for me, it's a funny thing. So I'll find like the worst tattoo of a person and put it on there and I'll go, yo, this is my new ink. And I can't tell you how many times my mom sends me like a DM and she's like, did you, did you get a tattoo? Is that real? Did you really get a tattoo? Like, and it's like, and as much as I joke, it's like, I actually fear my mom. Like, I don't know what she would like try to scrub that thing off of me. If I ever got Dude, it. I'm 53 years old. Yeah. I have a 20. My, my son turns 23 tomorrow. 
I, you know, I own a home, I'm married, I have two kids, a job, I'm at a job for 30 years. If I got a tattoo, my mom would fucking flip out. <laughs> she would flip out. And it's all because she was raised, we were, we were raised Catholic. So my mom very much, if you were, was raised with the belief that if you had a tattoo, you couldn't be buried in a Catholic cemetery. Mm. School, on consecrated grounds. Yeah, sure, sure. So she, she didn't want you to get a tattoo because, you, you know, you, 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 couldn't get, you couldn't be buried. And I remember, I remember as a kid saying, but dad's got tattoos. And she used to say, your father's going to hell anyway. Wow. <laughs> That's crazy. That's crazy. I'll never forget that. <laughs> Yeah, well, I mean, it's also like, like funny, like when people get like, you know, like uh, religious tattoos and it's like, yo, you ever read Leviticus where it says you're not allowed to get a tattoo? Like, <laughs> like, I, especially like if people have some kind of like crazy, like, you know, just like some like just batshit crazy thing tattooed on their body. It's like, uh, uh right. like, Matter of fact, I've seen online this guy has the, had the tattoo from Leviticus, the line saying about the anti-homosexuals. Yes. And like literally, the line before that is about not marking your body with tattoos. <laughs> <laughs> fucking jerk off. It's so great. <laughs> he's going so to use the Bible to hate on gay people. Yes. Well, it's just, just so stupid. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. man. It's funny. Oh, God. So listen, we're going to have a, uh, a new feature on the Dudes of Kung Fu, folks. And um, we're going to start it this week. And we, we want to make sure we're always talking about... Um, you know, fighting and training, and, 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 and in addition to the social aspects of, of martial arts study, which we did probably the primary reason for the podcast, we wanted to always make sure we're going back to training and, um, and fighting. So we're going to have a segment, short, informative segment every week that we call Kung Fu Fighting. And we'll talk about uh, all topics related to training, and, and, and fighting. And um, tonight's first one, we're going to talk about the Poxow drill. So here we go with, with the new segment on the podcast. Everybody was kung fu fighting. <laughs> Those kids were fast as lightning. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. A little kung fu fighting going on. Yeah, but just if. There's no trademark infringement because that's actually Sean playing it on his guitar and singing the song himself. Yeah, right. That's so we're gonna we'll, we'll we'll play that little jingle until we hear from Carl Douglas's lawyers, <laughs> and the day that Carl Douglas can afford to hire a fucking lawyer. <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk about Pox Out Joe for a few minutes, there, young man. All right. Um, I'll give a couple of seconds on it, and then you can talk. Then you can talk correctly about it. Pox Out Joe to me is one of the first of the uh, Wing Chun traditional Wing Chun drills that, <laughs> that, uh, I, that I teach. Um, I look at, of course, there's so many different levels to it, and I'm just going to pick one for tonight. Um, I look at Wing I, One of the ways I look at the Paxau drill is as a timing exercise. Um, okay, one of the ways. I'm not saying it's the only way. I look one of the ways to look at as a timing exercise. And if you if, and if one person standing there basically throwing out the punches, rolling out punches, and you're cycling through and doing poxow, if you can in your head think about okay, at what part of their punch coming out could I step forward into their punch, 
pucks out and hit. And, and, and kind of learn that understanding of timing of in the interaction of this punch coming. It's at a safe distance. You're not going to get hit. But as the punches are coming, you can kind of like at one point just like step forward and then you'll learn the right time. And I wanted to, and I really think that's an important aspect to, the, to that drill. So for the Paxel drill, uh, just to make it clear, um, this drill is essentially uh, two partners facing each other in the traditional Wing Chun stance. One person is essentially throwing chain punches somewhat at a distance. The other partner is kind of using uh, just the Paxel technique by itself, one after the other, kind of like one is attacking, one is kind of defending. Is that what you mean by Paxel drill? Yes, I'm sorry, I should have uh, been more specific. Yes, that's exactly what I meant. Okay, okay. Um, we actually uh, don't quite have the same drill uh, in in um, in the Wing Chun that I teach. Okay. Uh, um, we we basically just straight up teach Paxel punch going straight in, like your your partners either in a Wing Chun guard or um, I also so I teach everything both from the Wing Chun guard so that they can learn how the right. technique works Wing Chun v Wing Chun, and then I have the partner stand in a non Wing Chun guard so then they learn how to kind of do it, you know, adjust it right, for right, that right. right? And then so we just straight up teach, okay, puck punch with an advancing step, puck punch, stepping in, and then kind of getting the timing of, of working that down. We generally don't use Paxo to defend an incoming punch. We usually use Paxo as a um, uh, preemptive attack. Your opponent gets too close to you. They put up their hands. They're about to move, and boom, you just go and shut them down. When the punch is coming at us, we generally don't commit – the hand in that way because the chance that that's going to kind of bend your wrist back and mm -hmm. the timing is a little bit off so we'll, we'll tend to kind of catch it a little bit more with the forearm and do like a side palm or something else but the drill that you speak of where one person does the chain punches and the other one does packs out we don't teach that as a beginner drill because we just treat te do straight up packs out right. but i actually teach that drill to my advanced students who are doing bug um but we i do it with emphasis on the tendon whip force so that they actually learn how to throw their arm out, like almost like you're throwing a baseball, like, and right, so that right. they develop this really just murderous whipping power on their pack cell, and then and and then we integrate it with turns. If like we do it stationary, and then the person at random steps in, and you have to move out of the way, and then go back. So nice. You have to do it with a little bit of feeling, so it's like stationary, stationary. Oh, now the person commits, and you move to the side. So we make it like um. That, so it's kind of funny. I don't have it as a beginner drill but i actually have it as an advanced drill uh, but awesome. a, little, a little bit modified but yeah it's still in there but yeah that that's that's pretty cool that was awesome all right great man this was an awesome podcast i really i enjoyed this week yeah this was today, very cool today was a lot of fun man i look forward to doing it again uh just so that you know sean um we'll we could probably record another squeeze out another one before i go to hong kong and then i'll be gone for most of the month of august but both in hong kong and in germany and so let's squeeze out uh, at least maybe one or two more Yep. And uh, and we can there's even like uh, like a half a week in between Hong Kong and Germany when I'm back. We could squeeze one out. I would like to do one at that time, because uh, when I get back from Hong Kong, I will for sure have new things to talk about. So, Sounds like a plan. Uh, yeah, I look forward to it. And uh, we'll uh, catch all of you later. Be good, folks. Thank you for listening to our latest episode. Please help us get the word out there by sharing this and other episodes on your favorite social media platforms. If you're enjoying the Dudes of Kung Fu podcast, there are many ways in which you can support it. Go to dudesofkungfu.com slash support to find out how you can help your favorite Kung Fu podcast. We are currently using Patreon to automate great benefits to those who support the podcast. As a supporter of the Dudes, you'll get early access to episodes, as well as a number of other benefits based on your donation level.
This includes in-depth topic lectures and even monthly live video conferences with the dudes. Again, go to dudesofkungfu.com support to find out more about that. As always, you can help support us in small ways as well. Give us a like at the Dudes of Kung Fu Facebook page and share links to episodes. If Twitter is your preferred social media outlet, you can follow the Dudes of Kung Fu there as well. Both Big Sean Madigan and yours truly are on Twitter too. Dudes of Kung Fu is now also on Instagram, so tag it along with the hashtag Dudes of Kung Fu whenever you post something related to the podcast. A great way to support the Dudes is to rate and review it on either the iTunes or Android app stores. The written reviews are immensely more helpful than just giving us a five-star rating. If you have any suggestions for topics or guests, please write us at the Dudes of Kung Fu Facebook page. Please understand that neither Sean nor I can guarantee a response, but we will consider any serious suggestions. And finally, I ask that you help spread an open dialogue with other practitioners of martial arts. Chinese Kung Fu in particular has long since suffered from caustic political discourse, which can only change with you. Remember, the person you wholeheartedly disagree with doesn't love martial arts any less than you do. Take care, and thank you for supporting the Dudes of Kung Fu!